So I come before you with many confessions this morning, right? Back before, I think it was before I was a believer or still I was a growing believer. But uh, back in um, 2000, let's say, I think it was 2005-ish, in my 92 Toyota Corolla, I received a speeding ticket. Uh, I was going 55 in a 30 mile per hour zone. Uh, Yes, I I confess that. It was probably before I was a believer and I learned my lesson, I think, okay? But because of my age back in the, day, in the day, once you get a ticket, you either get points where your insurance rockets, or you decide to go to a driving class to be reminded of how to drive safely and slowly. So I chose the cheaper route, which is to take the driver class, right? Eight hours sitting and being told how terrible of a driver you are, and you must drive slowly. The speed limits are not suggestions. You know that you need to do it, yada, yada, yada. I hated it, right? I really hated it. And I think they do that on purpose so that it's the class that's miserable so that you don't want to speed again, right? But that was a long time ago. But still, to this day, out of that eight-hour class, there's only one thing that I really truly remember. And it was this very kind old lady who was teaching us this one truth that out of all the things that you learned that day, you cannot control other people's driving, right? Speaking as a person who drives in Northern Virginia, and I get angry every day, my wife will confirm that for you. You cannot control the other people's driving. You can only control your car. You can only control your emotions and your heart and the way that you drive as well. And I don't know why exactly the Lord allows me to remember that one story, that one point, but I use it as a sermon illustration this morning because, church, as we consider the times of today, as we consider our cultural shifts and the shifts in the dynamics of society, as we see people become more and more drawn away from God and they try to pursue their own desires of their heart, as their love becomes cold, as, be, as they become lovers of themselves, as they hate parents, as they hate people in general that it's not them, as they try to pursue identity in something other than God, we see a tremendous need for the church, all brothers and sisters, to be the light and salt in this world, more so. It is not a time to draw back and shrink back and be afraid and shelter ourselves, but rather it is a time for us to even be more salty and more bright in this world that desperately needs truth and love today. And so the more and more we see society degrade, The church has a choice. It is either to be that lighter salt or to simply point and judge, to blame the the deteriorating society on other people. Church, this morning, I want to share with you, pointing and judging is the easy thing to do. But is it the biblical mandate that has been given to us? Avoiding people, rejecting people, gives us a sense of control. I think that's why a lot of us, including myself, do that sometimes. Instead of loving, we avoid and reject. But our Lord, our precious Lord, has commanded us to love. A love that reflects His love for us. That a love that is unconditional in the sense of that person does not have to prove or earn our love so that we may love them, but the same way that we have received His love, without earning it, but by his grace and love for us first, we are called to also love others in the same way. 
And the end goal of this love is not for our self-benefit. It is not for our self-betterment. It is not for us to simply boast about how good we are. But the love that we give to other people, the love that we are commanded to do, is for one reason. And that is the glory of our precious Lord Jesus. So if you have, if you have your Bibles with me, will you turn to Mark chapter 12? And uh, again, you don't do this at our church, but I love that you guys do it here. If you are at Mark chapter 12, please stand and let us stand for God's word. We're going to read through Mark 12, 28 to 31 with me. And we're going to be reading through this to set the tone of what it means to have healthy relationships with the people that God has given to us in our lives. Mark 12, verse 28, and we're going to be reading up to verse 31. It says this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked them, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord with your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters, this is a passage. This is a verse that you probably heard many times in church, Christian podcasts, books, and the like. To love God with everything that you have and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, question for you this morning. Do you believe that all people in your life today, small, big, close, far, whether it's a brother or an acquaintance, whether joyful or annoying and frustrating, do you believe that all people have been placed in your life for a reason? Our brother James says that, when you see a cold and hungry man, we are commanded to go and give them something to drink, something to eat. We are to give them something to wear, not merely just say it with our words. First John 3.17 says, Anyone with earthly possessions sees his brother in need, but withholds his compassion from him. How can the love of God abide in him? And so we see that Christians are not called to simply do lip service and say good things. No, the act of love is an actual action. It is one of the greatest commandments that we are given. The Christ follower should be the greatest lovers on this earth. Let me repeat that. The Christ follower, the one who declares that Jesus is Lord and Savior, should be the greatest lover here on this earth. We should be the most understanding. We should be the most patient. We should be the least surprised when people mess up. And there's a reason for that. Because we know the one who knows us the best. We know the one who has given us the greatest love. There is a reason why the two greatest commandments have sermons and sermons and sermons, papers, podcasts, and the like. Just talking about these two commands. Because not just of the depth of how much application there is to these commands, but the fact that they're so interconnected, that when you do one, when you love God, you will do the other by loving other people. So let us break down this passage once again. Let it not just be a church thing to say or hear, but let us see what God's word actually says. Because verse 28, 
Go there with me. We have a scribe, someone who was studying the word of God, and he asks a very valid question. Out of all the 613 laws of Moses, of the Old Testament, that show us how to live and how to worship God, which one of those are the most important? And our Lord Jesus, he answers with the best question. He quotes from Deuteronomy, which shows that nothing has changed. There's always been this one thing. It is to love the Lord with everything you are and everything you have. And I love how our Lord keeps the context here. Our Lord, he says, our Lord, our God is one. The prayer, the Shema of the Israelites, the prayer that they would pray in the morning and at night at every service to show and remind a prayer of loyalty that remember Israel, oh Israel, our God is one. Love him with everything that you have, your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He is one. He is the great I am. There is no one else like him. And so when you ever look for direction in your life, this prayer points to that answer. You want direction in your life? You want an answer to the questions that you have? Go to the one true living the great I am. He alone is the source of truth, love, and hope that all people are looking for, including you and I today, this morning. He alone is the source of truth and love and hope that we also give to other people as well. And this one true God, this great I am, he desires one thing, that we love him and we show that also by our love for one another. He commands us to love him with all of our heart. He demands complete loyalty, not divided attention. He does not want to serve us to serve two masters, but only him. No other idols or gods that we make for ourselves, but 100% adoration for him in every aspect of our life. He, asks, he commands us to love him with all of our soul, so that we have a hope in him in a life today and the life that is to come. We do not put our hope into worldly things that are temporary and fleeting. But our hope is in the eternal God who is forever the Alpha and the Omega. Our God wants us to love him with all of our mind. Where every single thing that we learn here on this earth points to the creator and his goodness and his character. And our God wants us to love him with all of our strength, where our love is not stuck in the abstract thinking, but rather it is shown in action and in service to him and to others. This is the type of God that we worship. And it all begins with this. If you want to love other people well, go to the author of love. Go to the author of perfect love the one who has loved us so much that he created us for his good and he saved us from our wickedness and sin. So now, look at verse 31 with me. Because once we understand how great our God is and how we must love him, verse 31 says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You might have heard this before, often called the golden rule and understandably so. Because when this is understood correctly, this command is the ultimate guideline on how we are to treat and love one another. 
And I want the key component I want us to focus on today in this, in this message is that second half of that command, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Stop and think about that for one second. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's such a huge statement. Because what Jesus, our Lord, is teaching us here is that as you naturally take care of yourself, as you naturally, organically seek the best for yourself, that same standard is applied to others in your life. When you are hungry, you go and grab something to eat. When you are sick, you go after medical care. When you are stressed out, you do something about it. You take a break or you play games, you watch Netflix. It is so fascinating to see how the body itself, the physical body, does self-care so naturally and wonderfully that even the involuntary parts of our body, when we have stress, there are things that happen in our body to relieve that stress. When we cry, the tears that come out naturally have healing components in terms of relieving the stress from crying. When it is hot, we sweat. When it is cold, we shiver. And so Jesus is showing that, look, this standard of how the body itself and you yourself so naturally react to pain and suffering, you do something about it, that is the same way I want you to treat other people. The best analogy that I can think of, that I'm reminded of, is, in fact, was my Band-Aid. <laughs> Yesterday, I cut myself accidentally. And when you even get a small paper cut on your body, your other hand naturally, immediately goes to cover it because of the pain. And so in the same way, our church body, when one part is broken and hurting and in pain, we immediately, naturally, organically go to the place that is broken. We see this throughout all scripture. Do justice, the Lord says. I don't care about your offerings and your sacrifices. No, go out and love other people. Do justice. Help the widow and the orphan. Help those who cannot help themselves. Help those who have no voice. Because when, when the basic needs of a person are not met, Jesus is saying, look, go and share burdens with that person. Because they're, even their basic needs of who they are as a human being are not being met. That does not make our God happy when people are suffering, even in the basic needs. And this love, church, this love is so great that even our Lord wants us to go and love our enemies as well. Feed them when they're hungry. Give them your own jacket when they sue you. The standard of love for the Christ follower is far greater than the standard of love that this world presents. And that is a good thing. For what it's worth, beloved, real quick, this, this is not a call for Christians to love people to prove their faith. We are not called to go and love people to earn favor or to earn our salvation from God. That's not how it works. Rather, it comes down to this. Every single interaction that we have with people, 
whether it is your close friend, your brother, your sister, or yes, even your enemy, and yes, even that annoying boss that you work for, is guided by one thing, one truth. That God's greatest act of love was given to us first. Every single act of love that we do in our lives is for that purpose. To reflect the truth and the reality that our God gave us the greatest love to us first. You may have heard that before. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. And beloved, only when we truly, truly understand this love, the more and more we understand and receive this love from our God, only then can we truly give genuine love to other people in our lives. This is why our passage in Mark is so important. The more you love God, the more you see his love for us, the more you see that God in his patience and kindness, and he knows all of our sins, he knows who we are, he knows our secrets, he knows and sees the ugliness in ourselves that we try to hide from other people so much, even though he knows all of these things, he has given us the greatest act of love to give up his own son. He who was without sin to die for sinners such as you and I. Love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind so that you may love other people as you love yourself. Now, for those of you who are looking for more practical things, I'm a type A personality. I'm not done yet. I'm going to share some practical things on how we actually get to love and grow in this love for one another. Now, raise your hand if you own a car. All right, excellent. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you own a car. Because raise your hand if you have ever read through your instruction manual for your car. All right, we have some weird people here in this church. Good for you. GBD, you have done well, right? Now, Here's the deal. I have my instruction book. I have my reader's manual for user's manual for my car. And I I don't read that. I only look at it when the light comes on on the dashboard and that's it, right? But if you guys have actually taken the time to read through it, it's really cool because your car, especially the newer cars, your car actually has a lot of cool things that you didn't even realize. For example, in my wife's car, if you hold down the button on a certain way, It'll actually unlock all the doors, and it will actually uh, roll down the windows for you before you even start the car. And I was like, I did not know that, right? There's all these little, tiny little shortcuts that you can do for your car that are actually in the user's manual all this time. It's just that we don't actually open it up and read through it. Sound familiar, right? Now, as technology advances, my statement right now probably will become outdated because you know, all, despite all the variations of cars today, there are still certain core components of what makes up a car, right? It is wheels, engines, fuel, and the like. So that when, when it, any of the core components are changed or gone, it ceases to be a car. When you get rid of the wheels and you add paddles, then it becomes a boat, not a car, right? And so the church question for us this morning is, what then are the main core components of what makes up man and a woman? 
No matter who you are, where you're from, what you've accomplished, what is the main attributes, the core components that make us who we are as people? We have different skin color, different hairstyles, height, weight. What is it exactly? For those of you who know, it is being made in the image of Being made in the image of God is the key unifying factor and attribute of all people here on this earth. That you are, yes, wonderfully and uniquely made. And it's not your skin color, your ethnicity, or your, even your sexuality. But the ultimate unifying trait is that we are made in His image. The devil tries to deceive us in this. By having people try to identify themselves in something other than this, made in the image of God. Whether it's through accomplishments, through your money and your bank account, through what car you drive, through your sexuality, through your skin color, through what you do here on this earth. Satan tries to have us identify our value as a person through these things. Church. As a simple reminder, the one thing is that we are made in His image, and we are all broken sinners before God. And the reason why I share this this morning, beloved, is that only when we see each other, anybody in your life, on this standard, not by their skin color, not by their bank account, but the fact that they are people bearing God's image, broken, sinners, in need of a Savior, that alone is the beginning and the foundation of how we can, yes, love even that annoying boss who yells at you every single week for no reason. Only when you see someone through the lens of how our God sees his own creation do we begin that path of truly understanding and loving and even forgiving that person who has hurt us for many, many years. Whether it was your parents who abused you, who should have loved you, but abused you instead, or that person who betrayed you, or the person who gossiped behind you, only when you see how you yourself are just as broken as they are. Does the path of loving even that type of person begin? It is man. It is a problem of sin. It is the sinful hearts of man that ruins our behavior, that breaks up relationships, that destroys the standard that God has put up. And this has caused traumas in the hearts of people. And the, the, the destructive cycle of sin is that Outside of God and outside of Jesus, we try so desperately to try to heal ourselves with more worldly things, with more temporary pleasures, with more identities that are not of God. And it never satisfies, and it never heals. Beloved, our, church, our, our God has commanded us. In this path of healing, forgiveness, and yes, love in action. It begins when we see ourselves in the presence of God. Who we are. 
Why do you look in the speck in your brother's eye? Before checking the plank, the stick in your own eye. Remove the plank from your eye first. But Pastor Terry, you don't know what they did to me. Yeah, I don't. But I know what we did against our God. I know what we did against this holy God. I know what I do against this holy God numerous times. I preach his word on Sunday, and I still suffer the same sins that I preach about. That is how depraved I am. And yet our God, our precious Lord Jesus, in his patience, in his kindness, in his grace for us, he says, finish. I forgive you, and I'm going to use you. In 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, there is a conclusion that Paul offers that is often taken out of context. I'm going to read the New Living Translation for understanding. He says, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, he says, Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then when we see everything with perfect clarity, all that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. As Paul is writing his letter to the Corinthians, he's remembering the mirrors of his time. Back then, for you history buffs, you will understand that mirrors back then were made from bronze, not from the material that we have now. And so when you look at these bronze mirrors that were often dirty and they're rusting and so forth, it did not give a clear reflection of who you were. And so Paul uses this as an analogy. Today, as we live here on this earth, before Jesus, when you look at other people and you try to explain behavior and people's weirdness and the the reason why they hurt you, without God, you cannot get that full, complete picture of why that is. But then he says, someday, as if we're going to see a clear mirror that will reveal everything to us when we see our lord face to face someday when we are in the presence of the author of truth and of this precious gospel everything will be revealed as a church what this means for us today is the more and more we draw closer to our god the more and more we don't just keep god's promises and truths in the abstract but rather in reality, in action, and with our words, and when we receive it ourselves, then and only then can we forgive someone such as that. Only then can you begin loving that person that probably God is putting in your mind and in your heart right now, that you are called to forgive. Our creator knows who we are. He's the one who wrote the instruction book. And if he is the one who has written us, who we are, he is the one who created us and knows us fully, the ugly and the good, who else but our one true living God should we turn to to understand ourselves and other people? Beloved, how can we love another person when we don't know how to love ourselves? How can the blind lead the blind? But our Lord has given us the greatest love model on how to love other people. Thanks be to God, who not only wonderfully created us, but he loves us as well, even in our brokenness. He knows us with all of our sin, issues, and faults. And not only does he know that, he has forgiven us 
by giving us the greatest payment so that those sins are taken care of. And we can see God, our God, face to face, not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness imputed onto us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Love the Lord with all of your heart, strength, soul, and mind, so that you may love others as you love yourself. Church, let's close with some obedience today. Number one is this. This week, here's some homework for you. Oh, Jimmy, did he give you homework for the week? No? Good pastor. All right. Look up the word differentiation. Differentiation in the psychology world is this concept of where we develop a healthy identity that's distinct from other people's expectations of you. And so you create a very healthy identity for yourself and yet still establish healthy relationships with one another. And what I mean by that is, in our culture today, there have been so many burdens and expectations placed upon you since birth. And so what we don't realize often is that because of these expectations, because they're so ingrained in who we are, we live them out thinking that it is normal. But the reality is there are certain things that are not actually normal at all and not even healthy for that matter. Again, as I said this morning, people who try to find their own identity without God, they'll try to find it in something fleeting, worldly, temporary. But the best part about the Christ follower when it comes to identity, especially in the realm of differentiation, is that we don't have to look for our identity. We don't have to go on this journey and be like, this is who I am. Because our God has given you the best identity. You are a beloved son or daughter of God, and he has the receipts to show and prove how much he has loved you. And so for those here today who need to hear this, do not search for identity in anything here of this earth. It is temporary, it is not fulfilling, and ultimately it leads to death. But embrace the identity that our God has given to you. And ask yourself that question. I asked my church this last week. Our Lord, our precious Lord, says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Church, I ask you this morning, in any aspect of your life, what yoke are you wearing? What yoke has been placed upon you that you're trying to carry yourself and fulfill the expectations of other people outside of you? That's your homework this week. If you're single, what are people's expectations of you in your single life? Aren't you married yet? There's an expectation. There's a yoke. If you're married, why don't you have kids yet? Whatever. On and on and on. Worldly expectations. But our Lord says, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Differentiation. Number two. I know this is hard for some people, introverted person as I am. You must be in proximity of people. One of the lies that Satan puts upon ourselves is that when you're hurt by people, we tend to isolate ourselves from people. Right? Reality is, the solution is, we need to go back with healthy people. 
church, do not neglect in gathering together and come together to be the church. Don't just go to church, be the church together as brothers and sisters coming and celebrating one thing. That is, we are all sinners, we are forgiven, and Jesus Christ is Lord. And the best part is, this is why I love this church. You come together, you read the word, you read Genesis 5, you read about how man begat another son and so forth with all those difficult names to share this morning. Amen. Because even that shows how precious our God is. Be together in proximity with one another. And number three is this. Forgive. I don't know you all. I don't know your backgrounds. But the Lord this morning, I believe, is saying some of us must start taking steps in forgiving other people. And it begins with this. You simply look at the one who has given you the greatest forgiveness. How precious, how precious, how precious is the blood of our Lord who showed his love for us, not just through words, not just through abstract clouds in the, in the sky, but by his body being broken and his blood being shed to prove his greatest love, he giving up his life to prove that he loves us. Church, let us go to the Lord in prayer. going to give you guys 30 seconds to do some self-reflection with the Lord, some self-bounding with our Heavenly Father right now. And uh, if you, as you have heard God's word today and that has commanded us to go and love him with everything that we have and to love other people, for some, it may mean to just simply take steps, being intentional and calling them and reaching out to them, sharing the gospel with them. And for others, it may mean forgiveness. And for those of you who are hurt and still hurting today, I encourage you with this. Before you even take steps in trying to forgive another person, go to your Heavenly Father right now. Go to your Heavenly Father right now and receive forgiveness first. So I'm going to stop talking. Pray with your God. And I look forward to listening. Jesus, how wonderful you are. So that what is impossible for man is possible with God. That relationship that was so broken, Lord, can be healed. Those old dry bones, Lord, that are so dead that we think that are worth nothing, you can give new living flesh upon them. That mountain, Lord Jesus, that is so big, with faith the size of a mustard seed can be moved. And it is only possible through you, Lord.
Father God, you have given us these two great, beautiful commandments, and they are in this order for a reason. Love you with everything that we have, every single iota, Lord, of who we are. May we dedicate 100% adoration and loyalty to you. So that, Lord, as we love our precious God and our creator, we discover who we are. We discover our problems. We discover, Lord, our need for a Savior. And, Lord, when we taste that forgiveness that you've given to us through your Son, Lord, only that grace will even begin the process of loving those in our lives that you have placed, especially those we need to forgive. Father, Lord Jesus, thank you so much that our identity is not grounded on temporary things, foundations of sand here on this earth. But Lord, this unchanging rock, which is you, your truth, your love, and your word for us. Father, the praise goes to you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.